Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Real Talk, the podcast about all things materials. I'm your host Anna Pajajski and this time we're talking about fibreglass because it features my chat with marine engineer Hayley Loren. By day, Hayley works for Scottish Power Renewables, making offshore wind farms happen. But by night, she's a highly talented YouTuber working to get more girls into engineering. I started by asking Hayley, what exactly is fibreglass? It's a composite, so that means it's two different types of materials that are actually put together, um, and that's to make it stronger or to get properties that you might not necessarily actually get from one of the individual materials. So glass fibre reinforced plastics, which is what the actual blades are made from, are glass fibres so you might have heard of glass fibre anyway so they're tiny tiny little fibres of glass and then they are combined with a plastic usually like a thermo setting plastic or a resin um, and that basically means that at high temperatures it hardens so you tend to just put loads of glass with the resin and then you get a really strong lightweight structure which is awesome. Uh, okay so you're combining the strength of the glass fibres with the lightweightness of the plastic resin exactly so you're combining strengths and you're removing weaknesses of the individual ones as well oh cool okay yeah. so so the product is actually greater than the sum of its parts in in terms of a composite absolutely absolutely and for offshore wind turbines for blades it's really important because obviously you've got these huge huge structures that could be really heavy like if you made them from wood or something like that you really need them to be lightweight they need to be able to resist corrosion especially if you're offshore and you've got seawater and you need them to be strong as well and there isn't actually an individual material that can provide that Okay, so that's why we have to make composites. Yeah, yeah. So one of the questions that plagues this podcast is, what is a material? <laughs> and composites is an interesting one because we've just said that it's made of two different materials. Yeah. But I would say that glass fibre composites is one material. Like it is a, it is a material, it, even though it's a combination of two other materials. <laughs> 
Okay, good. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, yeah. It is. It is, and it is. Yeah. Because you can buy glass fibre reinforced plastic off the shelf as mm-hmm. a material. So what we're talking about today is commonly known as fibreglass. Yeah. But actually, really, that only just refers to the glass fibres, right? Exactly, so yeah. what actually should we call this material today? So let's call it GRP, which will stand for Glass Fibre Reinforced Plastics. Okay, well, then GRP is uh, an engineered material, right? People yeah. have had to do this. This is, a, this is a classic example of a man-made material or women-made material. Probably men. No, women all the way. Uh, do women make it generally today? <laughs> they might do. When I've seen the factories, there are women making it too. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but uh, where did it come about then? Well, uh, composites in general, can we start with that? Because yeah. It's pretty cool because mm-hmm. um, they've been around since like the Egyptian times when they combined mud and straw to make their houses. It made a really strong structure that they could then live under, which is awesome. And then all throughout history, we've actually been using lots of different types of natural composites. So the reason why... um, we haven't continued to use them is because they're not as strong and when plastics and uh, synthetic resins were actually discovered then they just overtook all of the natural composites because they were so much stronger but then even then it wasn't enough for us we needed more we always need more don't we (laughs) so we needed to take it further and that's when the idea of combining the glass fibers with these synthetic resins to create the ultimate synthetic composite, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which we use today. Um, And I think that was in around 1935 when that was first discovered, just at the beginning of the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge investment in this type of material because during the war, they needed lightweight and strong structures. Yeah. and that, that's actually what pushed it forward. Nice. And I actually read as well that fiberglass, um, sorry, GRP, is <laughs> is transparent to microwaves. Yes. So aircraft or maybe boats as well made of made of this material was actually more stealthy perhaps to be used in the war effort. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. So was it then the process of making, because it seems like making a fibre out of glass is quite a difficult thing to do. Was it the development of that process that inspired the making of the composite? you know I think it was a bit of an accident like most things are so actually the discovery of glass fiber was an accident I think there was a guy who was making some glass and then he had a um, a air compressor or something and Mm -hmm. he accidentally let it off and then suddenly he had all of these fibers together (laughs) which is mad Um, and then it was him that he went on I think with somebody else and they thought okay what happens when we combine it together and it becomes a stronger structure Um, but it took a long time just like most things in research, to actually then come into something that can be used every day. Mm-hmm. So how we use it now every day, it's yeah. just, it took a long time. Right. Yeah. Hello, this is Anna from the future. So it turns out that glass fibres have been produced for centuries, but the earliest patent was awarded to Hermann Hammansfrau in the US in 1880. The mass production of glass fibres was accidentally discovered in 1932 by Game Slater when he directed a jet of compressed air at a stream of molten glass, which produced very, very fine fibres. 
This process was improved upon by the Owens Corning Company to make its patented fibreglass material four years later. Fibreglass was first used on its own as an insulation material, but it was materials giant DuPont who developed a suitable resin to make it into a composite in 1936. This was followed by various improvements in resin technology to make the glass fibre reinforced plastic composite, which we all know and love today. Okay, so this material is all about, as we've said, combining glass fibres, which are quite linear, with Mm. plastic. How is it made now and what powers do we have over controlling the material's properties? So with wind turbine blades, you basically have a huge mould that's in the shape of a blade and they're usually separate, so you've got two halves. And you cover in all of the glass fibres, you cover it with that, and then you actually put the moulds together because it used to be that you used to actually form the GRP in separate moulds and you would glue them together, mm-hmm. but that would create weak patches and the stresses were too high and it wasn't very efficient, basically. Mm-hmm. So now they actually combine the moulds together and they remove all of the air, so they create a vacuum, and then they put in all of the resin, and then they apply heat because it's a thermosetting resin, and, and then it, it cures like bread, really. Oh, okay. So it, it just, it, it, it then hardens, essentially, like the outside, like how you get crusty bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you get left is this amazing structure. And and I don't know the, the details so much um, of how they do this, but mm-hmm. I know that for the blades going forward, they're really looking at including elastic in order to create a more flexible blade. Because obviously we've got this balance between having a really long turbine blade, the bigger they are, the more energy you're going to actually get out of the wind, but then the more like stresses and forces that are actually going to be hitting on it. So if you make one flexible that can actually move slightly in the wind, then you're reducing the stress and you can make them bigger. So they're actually applying elasticity to GRP. And I don't even know what that acronym would be. (laughs) But but it's amazing. So I think, you know, there's so much that could be done with it. Yeah. So much more that can be um, tailored and and molded and meshed together as we learn more about the actual materials themselves. Cool. So with these glass fibres, when they're laying them down inside the moulds, do they orientate the glass fibres so that they're all in one direction to make the material stronger in that direction? Or does it need to be strong to withstand forces really in all directions? Generally, it's in all directions. And depending on, um, I know for other structures, they tend to create a mesh and they actually create, it's, it's a bit like a fabric, a woven type, but I don't think that's so specific. And different companies actually design different types of blades as well. So again, it depends on what you actually require. And, um, and this is a great thing about engineering, that you can design something for, for, for whatever you need. It's just the balance of cost. <laughs> that's usually the main thing, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Amsterdam this week and there they have a lot of windmills. So traditionally, as a country, they appear to have been harnessing the wind power for quite a long time. Why don't we make our high-tech wind turbines out of wood? Because that seems to have been a material that's been used throughout history and worked really well. Absolutely. And that goes back to what we were talking about before, about the natural materials that have always been used. And I think that actually some of the very first wind turbines were partially made from wood. It's just that wood 
it's not as strong and the forces on it because it's heavy it can be quite heavy you need to have a really firm structure so if you think about a windmill they've got a really wide mm. bottom and it's really thick at the top as well and they're actually quite short so you have to remember that these wind turbines some of them they're like they're so high they're fast yeah and they're huge and I don't necessarily think that wood could withstand the stresses so it's all about the forces that are acting upon it so you have to choose a material that can withstand that and with wood because it can't handle as many stresses you would have shorter blades so windmills also have short blades and they tend to be flat and they're square as well Mm. Um, some of them anyway and if you end up with that like 40 metres in the air or something like that, I think they would break. And in a storm, when they get wet and things like that, they... Okay. And we design wind turbines for 25 years. We want them to last that that long, really. So that's why GRP is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so you just said that wind turbines are really tall. Is that mm. because it gets windier the further up you go? So, yeah, it's windier uh, above, but it, they can't be too high. So we would want to take them higher, but they have to be underneath where all the planes and helicopters fly <laughs> as well. Because <laughs> that could be Just imagine like a really ridiculously long wind turbine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the ultimate if we banned all travel all air flights yeah. we're fine you yeah know? but then you'd need to also design a turbine that could withstand those forces mm-hmm. as well um and and actually they do you want to prevent them from swaying and moving in the wind and things like that because that can remove the amount of energy that you then get it's all about efficiency yeah um which is why it's interesting so it's always this constant balance between different things yeah well that's just engineering i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you said that wind turbines are designed to have a lifetime of about 25 years mm-hmm. what happens to them after they die <laughs> after they die oh it's so sad <laughs> well um it's interesting because obviously the wind industry has only been around for 20 to 25 years and okay. they have a design life of 25 years. So a lot of them can actually be reused. So a big discussion in the industry now is can we change out any of the equipment and the blades and basically recommission them into something that's more efficient. So instead of removing them out of the sea, can we keep them in there? And then we just upgrade, basically, like you would a laptop. You know, you can upgrade bits in it. You can't do that forever. But Mm -hmm. can you extend the life of it maybe for another 10 or 15 years? The interesting thing that is a discussion as well in the industry is that you will have to get rid of the blades. So at the moment, there aren't that many blades floating about. Most of them either sadly end up in landfill, but GRP is pretty inert, so it's not too bad for the environment. There is a lot of research now, though, going into recycling blades. And what what can you do with them? I mean, we're going to end up with hundreds and hundreds of blades just Mm. knocking about. If anybody wants one, (laughs) you can buy one. (laughs) Um, So we need to find a solution to that, basically. And there is research. They're talking about mechanical grinding and um, incineration as well. There is one company that does recycle blades in Germany and they turn it into concrete. What? Um, um, well, cement, <laughs> which is cool. So you can re- remove some of the glass from it yeah. and use that into a weird special cement mixture. Cool. So you're turning one material into something completely different. That's really cool. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so hopefully there'll be more of that. 
mm-hmm. as well. And um, otherwise, the blades can actually be sold on. So they're decommissioned and then they're sold to other countries that want them. So um, usually that's like Asia or North Africa because they're really getting into wind themselves. Cool. Um, so we're trying to extend the life of them as long as possible. Nice. So they don't die. <laughs> yeah, because this is one of the big problems with composites is that because, we, as we said earlier, inherently they're made of two different things. It's really difficult to remove those or kind of to untangle those two different things at the end of the lifetime of a material. Like there was that headline a while ago about those um, coffee cups, which are non-recyclable because they're effectively a plastic lining so that your coffee doesn't soak through the paper and the paper is the outside. Similar thing with crisp packets, aluminium and plastic. So you can't actually recycle those because you can't disassemble the material. So composites recycling is a real issue. Yeah. And it's one that not many people really appreciate, I think, the difficulty of doing. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. So one question I have for you, which may be in the listeners' minds, is why is carbon fiber cooler than glass fiber composites? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool, isn't it? It goes because it goes to space. <laughs> well, it goes to space. It's inexpensive bicycles. Like I feel yeah. like carbon fiber is this really like oh whizzy cool material. Jazzy. Whereas like I feel like glass fiber composites are kind of like oh you know you make kind of boats out of them and like yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I do, what, yeah. why does it have this different reputation? Well, it, it is stronger than glass reinforced plastic GRP. Um, that's why it's sent up into space. That's why it's on satellites and things like that. And it can resist high temperatures considerably as well. Um, I d- I'm not too sure with bikes. I-, I think that will be a strength thing, to be honest. And also because it's known and it's this term that people know, I reckon companies just play on that as well. And it's more expensive, so then they can charge more for a bike as well, <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is all about... Um, the strength and with wind turbines you don't necessarily have to use carbon fiber but they are starting to actually look at that as the blades get even bigger we're going to have to start using better materials um again like 
the theme that's been running in here is all a balance with cost mm -hmm. and what can you get away with. I mean, if you can extract a load of energy from the wind using GRP and it's not as expensive, why would you use carbon fibre? Right. Um, but if you want to make super, super sized wind turbines, then maybe they will have to use carbon fibre and then there'll be super cool turbines too. <laughs> not that glass fibre is not cool. I just feel like other people think that carbon fibre is cooler. Yeah, but, you know, poor GRP. I know, right? Yeah, I feel like we should make friends with GRP and you know, <laughs> include, include them in the group. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the time on this podcast, we tend to, like, try and make campaigns around them too. <laughs> so, like, with Andrew's episode, we were trying to, like, get, you know, appreciation for foams. Yeah. And I feel like now maybe we need appreciation for glass fibre reinforced plastics. <laughs> People don't understand like how how much it's used around us. Like, all right, then let's play a common game, which is spot all of the glass fiber reinforced plastics that are in the room. Plug sockets. What? The cases. Really? Yeah, I, I think that's GRP. We're not in a train, so the train flooring and all the handrails. A lot of those are made from GRP. Oh, really? What you actually put your bags on that can be made from GRP. Nice. Yeah. Usually GRP is used on bigger things that we use. Like structural things. Yeah, every day. I mean, the, the eternal question in this room is what is the wall made of? Because it's just like weird, spongy... Cardboard? Carpet. It looks well, like if cardboard. Well, if you squidge it... Oh. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really fluffy. <laughs> That's an eternal question that we have yet to answer. That's so weird. It's kind of like a, a beige velour... Insulation. Yeah. It could it could be glass fiber. Glass fiber can be woven into fabrics as oh, well. Okay. And they can be super super strength. And also carbon fiber and amarid fibers as well. You can create wool. So the first glass fibers were actually like a wool, and they were used for insulation in homes and in cars and trains and, and loads of different things around like electrical cables. They're in aeroplanes. Oh, cool. Instead yeah. of asbestos, is this? Yes, instead okay. of asbestos. So after people realised that asbestos was not very good. Yeah. Um, but you can use asbestos as well as a glass, as a fibre as well. So. To reinforce plastic. Exactly. Okay. But so. presumably no one's really doing that anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. No, but but without the resin... The glass fibres themselves, it can be woven into something pretty cool. Mm, so could you yeah. make like a T-shirt out of glass fibre? I don't, I don't know. Maybe Should it'd be try. too see-through. <laughs> <laughs> we can try. It might be a bit meshy and uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be like a T-shirt. Like I don't think it can be woven just like this. Okay. Yeah. Do you know how thin the fibres can get? Not in terms of other than saying really small. Hello, this is Anna from the future again. Glass fibres can be made less than 10 microns in diameter, which is smaller in width than a human hair, even the really, 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 really thin ones. <laughs> so actually, when you get glass fibres that are that thin, presumably they can be quite flexible. Yeah. So you would actually be able to make a flexible fabric out of glass fibres. Absolutely. Yeah, because we tend to think of glass as being very brittle, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when it's thin, it can be flexible. Woven and, and that can. I wonder if this is something that will be used then with smart fabrics or maybe it is already being used with smart fabrics. Um, what do you mean by smart fabrics? Well, oh, <laughs> fabrics that um, can react to your body or can um, sense things on you, maybe. Mm -hmm. So whether it's your heart rate or your internal temperature, 
that's what I think of as smart fabrics. And and they also use them in the army as well. Not glass, but I think it's amarid fibres are used and they're woven in for super strength. So that's what bulletproof vests are also partially made out of as well as Kevlar. Yeah, I've read about that actually. Yeah, I hadn't put two and two together. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, so there's loads of futuristic applications for glass fibres. So they actually do have quite a bad rep, I feel. Yeah. Well, we're talking about glass fibres by themselves. Poor little, you know, the thermosetting plastic is, <laughs> is by itself in the corner currently. Well, then, is the thermosetting plastic bringing it down? Like, do we need to get a better resin? Oh, yes. That seems like it's the weakest link. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you have any amazing facts about GRP? <gasps> yes, only because I'm a weird Disney freak. But <laughs> the Princess Castle uh, in Disneyland in Disney World Florida is made from GRP. Amazing. And roller coaster rides, you know, the cars that you sit in are mm-hmm. also made from GRP. So it's a super fun material as it well. It is super fun. It it's fac- cool. <laughs> it facilitates fun. Yay. Um, that's really cool. Wait, so I've never been to Disneyland Florida. Is this a castle that you can go in or is it purely aesthetic? You can go in. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Is it big? Yes, it's huge. It's like a proper sized castle. Why did they make it out of GRP? <laughs> because it's cheap and it's strong and it's corrosion resistant. So why would they actually build a proper castle? It would take too much time. You can actually mould and mesh GRP really, really quickly so they could construct it. You know, and, and anyone who has been to Florida or even Thorpe Park or anything like that, if you've ever seen any of the theming, they try and create theming to create worlds and stuff like that. If you like knock on it... It's yeah. actually, you can hear that it's hollow right. and it's actually GRP. It's like this plastic, this strong plastic. Cool. Yeah. So see, super fun. Super it's fun. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, about wind turbines as well, if you're thinking about the loads and what this GRP blade is actually resisting, um, it's the equivalent of, so you've got to picture this now, like a hundred metre long fishing rod Right. And on the end of it, you've got 30 family sized cars. That is the equivalent stresses and loads that the blade resists when it's turning in the wind. It's fast. It's enormous. And are those forces so strong because A, the wind is strong, but also it's having to hold up its own weight and the forces of it turning means that it's got all those kind of like centrifugal forces as well. Yeah, exactly. And you've and you've got rain, you've got storms. Um there's so much they get hit with hail. The birds. Th- birds. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> not not they actually tend to fly around it. They don't oh, do get, they? Yeah, they don't actually get hit that often. Oh, that's good. I know that's a slight big thing in the news, but it's really not that big. Right, okay. So anyone trying to resist a wind farm at the moment, <laughs> you can't use the bird thing. No, people do. They're like, it kills birds. No, like your car probably kills more birds than turbines <laughs> do. Do they do bird impact tests on turbines? Not bird what you mean like they do with cars like they do yeah with with jet engines as well like i've seen them fire a frozen chicken at a jet engine to test it on. no way i, didn't I mean i haven't that. seen i've seen a film a video of it yeah on the internet i don't actually know i need to i need to find out i don't think they do i think basically we try and build them where birds don't 
tend to fly that often because okay. they, they have flight paths usually. So we just track all the flight paths and oh, then build cool. them around the flight paths. Nice. Yeah. So can you use your, your background in biology to, to be able to know about all these kind of migratory patterns? I can a bit because I really enjoy that stuff. That's the environmental side. And it does come in handy when you're chatting to all of the engineers who don't care so much. And you're like, no. You know, there's important environmental aspects. <laughs> what somebody think of the birds yes. <laughs> and the fishes? Yeah, and actually, the how, how does it affect marine life? Oh, it it doesn't. It well, it does in the short term. So when you're actually constructing them and you're installing right. them, so we we have to use something called bubble curtains mm. when we're putting the actual structures into the seabed. This sounds amazing. <laughs> it's basically where loads of bubbles are created around the um, the structure. And A, it scares off all the fishes because it's really active. So they, they think that something's going on, so they tend to go away. Mm-hmm. And it reduces the noise. Ah. Because I think it's to do with refraction or something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's light, but <laughs> it prob- the... Hang on, let's think about this. Physics. Maybe it's like the interface between the water and the air in the bubble that yeah. that could sort of absorbs the noise yes yeah so it, it basically reduces it significantly cool because if if we didn't do that the fish would literally die and and what the first type of piling they would just float up to the top in oh. a large area around it so bubble curtains are used when any like hammering is going on when we're literally hammering a structural pile into the seabed Mm. we need to do that how far do you have to go down into the seabed to secure it it depends on the type of actual soil that's there it's like a tent when Mm. you're putting up a tent and you're hammering in like a tent pole you know you you have to hammer it in quite far and if it's a bit muddy you have to go further and you're like ah it's why isn't it staying in and if you're on the beach could you actually hammer in Mm. that tent pole into sand on the beach. That'd be useless. Exactly. So you have to remove some of the sand and get down to the harder layers. Okay. Where it's more compacted. Yeah. And then that's where it's a more solid foundation for it. Ah, uh, okay. So that's what we're trying to create. And you don't want to hit rocks in the t- in the case of a tent pole. No, exactly. Or unless you had a drill and you wanted to be there for hours. <laughs> and who does that? <laughs> Extreme camping. <laughs> Amazing. So if listeners have enjoyed hearing from you, where can they find you and follow you online? Uh, Well, I have my own YouTube channel, uh, which is all about engineering and um, energy and offshore wind as well. So you can find me just at Hayley Loren um, on YouTube. And I have a website, which is www.hayleyloren.com and on Twitter as well. And I am at the Hayley Loren. But I'm always happy to chat and answer questions and stuff like that. So do get in touch. Brilliant. Yeah, listeners, take some pictures of wind turbines and send them over to Hayley. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It can be spot the the turbine. Which one is it? What brand is it? Hashtag spot the turbine. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been really fun. All right, so that was my fantastic conversation with marine engineer Hayley Loren. I had such a lovely time with Hayley, and after we recorded that conversation, we headed out into the sun to shoot a YouTube video for her channel. So be sure to head over there if you want to hear more from Hayley, and indeed from yours truly. So now, of course, to the questions. The first comes from Martin Orswick, who asks, How do mirrors work, and what's so special about metals that reflect light? 
Well, the key to this question is understanding how the silver atoms of a mirror interact with light. So atoms have a nucleus in the middle where you'll find the protons and the neutrons and orbiting that nucleus are the electrons. When a photon of light comes along and hits the silver atom, it transfers its energy to one of those electrons. When this happens, the electron gets promoted up to a higher energy level. But the atoms like this are unstable. They don't like to be in this excited state. So the atom wants to get rid of all that extra energy, and it does so when the electron relaxes back down to its original energy position, and this releases a photon of light. These photons have pretty much the same energy as those that originally hit the atom, and so in that way you can see your own image in the mirror. And this relates to our second question, which comes from Ozzy Ismail, who asks, what is the science behind the glowy properties of high-vis materials? So... Extremely attractive high-vis clothing usually has two features. The first relies on a phenomenon called fluorescence. Now, this relies on the same effect that makes gin and tonics fluoresce under the UV lights of the club, if anyone is familiar. Because the fluorescent dyes on yellow or orange clothing make them appear to glow, and this effect increases daytime or dusk visibility. What happens is a photon of UV light comes along and it transfers its energy to an electron, which is on one of the atoms which make up the dye molecules. Again, this excites the electron to a higher energy level, but the atom hates being excited, so this electron needs to lose its energy again. And the difference here, compared to the silver mirror, is that the electron first loses some of its energy by vibrating around a little bit, so it loses some of its energy in the form of heat. Next, it gets rid of the rest of its extra energy by dropping back down into its original energy level and releasing another photon of light. This photon is ejected, and because it lost some of its energy vibrating around as an electron, the ejected photon has lower energy than the original UV photon that came in. Therefore, the outgoing photon is in part of the visible spectrum, which we as humans can see. So high-vis clothing also have on them reflective tape and these contain loads and loads and loads of tiny glass beads and these glass beads reflect the light back from a source back out into your eye. So in this way, high-vis clothing can be seen both in dull light conditions thanks to fluorescence and in the strong lights from a car headlight due to reflection. So that's it for this episode of Real Talk. Don't forget, we always love hearing from you on Twitter. We're at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk. Or you can always send us an email at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, keep those beautiful five-star reviews coming in and we will see you next time on Real Talk. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.